Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we may sound a little bit different. That's because I'm actually at your house. Yeah. So I'm not sure how this is going to come out. It's a, a different recording setup for us. So hopefully it uh, comes off just fine. Indeed. Well, we have a fantastic sound editor, Laura. So uh, yeah. I'm sure she's going to do a great job. So uh, this week we're talking about why you shouldn't listen to your brain. <laughs> and that's actually part of a thing we're planning. So we're actually going to be giving a talk in London together yep. on the topics from our book and this podcast, yep. which is happening on uh, the 19th of March at Code Node in London. It's in the evening and the link and all the information will be in the show notes. And the topic of the talk is sprinting in place the cost of missing leadership conversations. If you listen to any of our podcasts, you'll not be surprised at that topic. And today's topic is part of it. It's uh, why your brain may fool you. Yep. Why, why might that happen, Jeffrey? Well, we're going to be talking about a, a couple different uh, problems that we can have with our brain. And um, the first part is one that we've uh, mentioned many times before, but we've never had an episode just focusing uh, on it explicitly. And that's going to be the System 1, System 2 model from Daniel Kahneman in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Link in the show notes, as always. Um, but we're also then going to go on, because this is a leadership talk we're doing at CodeNode, to bring in another aspect, which is uh, the problems of power. And um, and so then this is kind of a one-two punch that often leads to, to problems with uh, agile projects, particularly from the leadership side of things. Indeed. Okay. So um, so what's the system one and system two thing? <laughs> some of our listeners are probably sick of us talking about it, and some of us, some of them have never heard of it. Right. So um, for the people who have never heard about it, uh, system one and system two is a model that Daniel Kahneman describes in his book. And he says, you can think of our consciousness as, as existing at sort of two different systems that are running. Um, and system one is a, a one model. It's a, the fast model. And system two is the slow model. And you might think, well, why do I want two models? Yeah, why would I want to think slowly? Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it, the idea is that the fast model is fast and is uh, cheap to do because it takes shortcuts. Mm -hmm. So it's good for lots of things, but sometimes you actually want the precisely correct answer. And for that, you need a more deliberate concentration, more effortful thinking, and, um, and that's slower. Indeed. So if our listeners want to try this out, um, try thinking of the answer to this question, what is four plus five? And then think about the answer to this question, what is 4,962 divided by four? Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about those two things, your brain will actually do different things. And if you stick yourself in an MRI scanner, different parts of your brain will light up, your eyes will dilate in different ways. So actually there's neurological things that happen differently when you think quickly about four plus five, which you probably memorized uh, many years ago. Right. And when you think about a complex math problem, which I now can't recall. <laughs> so it's so complex that I can't remember it. And that's because if I had to work on it, I would need system two, which needs more energy and a different kind of thinking. That's right. And so there's a role, uh, and, and this is kind of tied into evolutionary psychology, there's a role that each of these things play. System one, it turns out, is what we're making decisions with all the time. And the, the thing is, really, I said consciousness, because it's effectively system one operates really in not in the way we usually think of as, as conscious thought. It's sort of what is uh, automatic and reflexive, and it's what happens without effort mm -hmm. automatically. System two, that is that effortful thought, is really a better reflection of what we think of our thought process being. You'd have a thought bubble above your head that would say, okay, 4,900, and then I have to yeah, divide yeah. By, and carry the two and you do all that <laughs> stuff. Whereas four plus five, there'd be nothing in the thought bubble. Bubble, just nine. That's right, just nine. Uh, so, the, so the system two is what we think of as thinking, and system two is the one that's accurate, 
But system one is the one that's actually come up with answers most of the times. And the funny thing is, is that because we don't distinguish between these two things, we think of our answers as coming from system two. We think of the answers that we come to automatically as having the same rigor and validity and you know effort put into them as what happened with uh, our system two, with our with our conscious effortful thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> and here lies danger. Exactly. And this is then what leads people to uh, sort of defaults to kind of ineffective strategies when they're working together because they're making decisions in a uh, system one way about how they relate to one another, but they feel that they're careful and considered, you know, sort of like I've come up with a story and I know that when I think I'm careful and uh, conscientious. Yep. So this answer, why wouldn't I be yeah, exactly. And, and so this, this feeling that I have, this conclusion that I've come to, I must've come up with it that way yep. because that's the only kind of thinking I'm aware of having. And you were telling me a beautiful story about exactly this kind of thinking that happened <laughs> to you today, I think. Uh, that's right. One of the characteristics, one of the characteristic pitfalls of system one is it can, uh, like I said, it will do these sort of substitutions. And one of the shortcuts it will do is it will take a a story and uh, you have some facts and it'll come up with a story. And as long as it's a coherent story, it'll assume it's a correct one. And, And that's great as a heuristic because coherent stories are a lot easier to come up with when the correct one. Yep. An example I had was I was told about a decision that was made in our New York office uh, involving three people. And so my head immediately came up with a picture of how this you know, could have happened. Three people uh, around a table uh, discussing it and all mutually coming to a conclusion. And that's the, that's the answer made by the group in New York. Which is, I bet, what many of our listeners thought when they first heard you say a decision involving three people. Not sure what your picture was, but probably involved all of them making the decision together. Yes. And then uh, and I actually then spoke to one of the people tonight who was in, involved. And I said, oh, so I understand the three of you came to this. And he goes, that's not what happened at all. The other two people made a decision and they told me about it. So I was like, oh, that's a very different story than what I have. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems uh, this is a pretty trivial example, but I think it, it shows you how uh, I, I was completely confident in a story, but then I was completely incorrect. But it, it, it shows you how the, the brain will come up with these coherent stories effortlessly. Mm-hmm. It was very, very easy. And, you know, and it, it did fit the facts that I had. Absolutely. Um, you, would, you could easily have said, New York made this decision. <laughs> yes. And you would be thinking that the entire New York office was part of this decision. They were all agreed on it. Yes. And those darn people in New York, they just keep insisting that we don't write tests or <laughs> whatever it might have been that they were deciding on. That's right. You can see how this leads into kind of in-group, out-group dynamics that can happen and that very often do show up on agile projects when there's divisions between uh, one office and another, or even between functional areas, maybe between the business and technology. And um, they don't have as much access to each other. They have fewer facts to base their stories on. And the funny thing is, is that the fewer facts you have, the easier it is to come up with a coherent story. And this is what uh, Kahneman calls what you see is all there is. So you, you have a fact and mm-hmm. in your case, it was somebody phoned you and said, this was the decision in New York, I mm-hmm. assume. And so you make your decision based on, on Actually, that piece of information. I just got to say, that wasn't at all what happened. Oh, great. You just <laughs> caught me doing it. So how did it come to be? I, I heard about the, the story this morning when I got in from someone in London. You heard it from someone else. There yeah. we go. Okay. So I'd formed a, st- a story about phone calls. And I bet I would have sworn in a court yeah. that Jeffrey had told me that it was a phone call. Because I definitely remember hearing that, but it's completely false memory. Completely not. System one was in full operation. Great. So we've we've caught ourselves doing it again. That's right. But however you found out about it is the one piece of information you had. What you didn't have was a videotape of the people talking. You didn't have further information from them and so on. So um, your brain, your system one, went and said, well, this is what I see, what I have in front of me. The information that I heard from someone else here in London yes. 
is this is what happened in New York. Yes. And if I, if I think about how this, I've seen this happen on Agile projects, it shows up in lots of different ways. And it could be something like, uh, well, I went and talked to uh, the product people and our, our customers don't want this. Yep. Or um, I talked to the developers and they said that this, you know, this can't be done. It's too expensive. Or Business they don't people do won't it. let us write tests. But, yeah. All kinds of stories go around. Mm -hmm. And actually it's a, it's a combination of sort of the normal problem of telephone plus then people making up stories and then repeating them with full confidence. And when you dig into it and unwind it, it actually, there was, there was nothing to it uh, behind it. The problem here is that we're not curious when this happens to us. We're not in doubt. Mm -hmm. and so we have this, this is really the, the main problem here is we're listening to our brain. That's like, Hey, I got this. Yep. I, <laughs> I, I know that, that Jeffrey got a phone call. I got I, that. You can go ahead and say that here on the podcast for hundreds of people to listen to, Squirrel. It's okay because yeah. that's what Jeffrey told you. Yep. But my system one was completely fooling me. Yep. Uh, and, and it's that gap between our confidence and the reality and, and our unawareness of it. It's not like we, we have any accurate percentage like of, uh, oh, well, this is probably 5% correct or 10% correct. It's like, no, nope, 100%. 100% correct. I definitely got it. No question. And one of the great lines in the book is Kahneman says, if you don't remember anything else from the book, so it worked, I yeah. remembered this thing. If you don't remember anything else, remember that when you're 100% sure, that's exactly when you should be careful. That's the warning sign. So actually, I had a client who had this problem uh, on Friday, so right. I, I wanted to describe it. So what he had was uh, somebody who uh, works for him. So he's the founder of a startup, and somebody in the startup was uh, telling him that, uh, yeah, uh, what I want to do is shut down our system for our U.S. and U.K. users between the hours of 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. U.K. time. Hmm. And that was not going to go over very well with the people who were in the working in the afternoon in the UK or in the middle of the day in New York. Right. So this was not going to work very well. And so he wound up with a story about this, which was this developer just really doesn't care. The develop the users are not important to me. I'm not thinking about uh, how that might work for them. This person just wants to make sure he gets home and gets some sleep. Yeah. And and that's his interest. And what he should be thinking about is how to take care of customers. And you know he can do whatever he needs to, but he needs to stay up late. To take down the system at a, a better time. Wait, and what, what, like a better time would be something like, like midnight to three in the morning or something. There's probably like not that. a lot of users online then. There, there would not be in the US and UK, which is where their users are. They well, don't have any in Asia. So yeah. That would, that would work great. The problem is the founder who had made this co very coherent story about the kind of lazy developer who doesn't want to, to stay up late hadn't checked this with the developer. Right. And to his credit, he'd, he'd phoned me and he'd said, Squirrel, what should I do about this? Mm -hmm. And I said, Well, the first thing you should do is talk to this guy because there's probably some information <laughs> you're missing. And he said, okay, fine. You've been teaching me this. I'll, I'll give that a try. And I was applying for him the 100% certainty check mm -hmm. that Kahneman says to do. So um, he phoned me back later and he said, wow, it was really interesting. I talked to the guy and actually he had this really sensible new piece of information, which is if we went from midnight to three in the morning, we would not have enough time to recover before people logged on again the next day. Right. So there actually is a really good reason not to go from midnight to three. Right. We're still going to have a really serious problem and we need to figure out what to do. And like, when do we take it down? Maybe we have to do multiple outages or something. But I didn't have that information. That was the reason. It's not that he was lazy. Right. Which is something you just don't think of. Sure. And you can see why, because if you were, if it'd be different, if you said, if we're late, let's go to a room, let's sit down, let's think of all the possible reasons that might come up. That would take a while. Mm -hmm. And um, and we could think of all kinds of crazy we, reasons we and, all think and of crazy really reasons. get our systems twos going. Right. But but you know what? There's a good chance we wouldn't actually come up with the real reason. Exactly. We, we'd be hard for us to choose among all the coherent reasons what was the right one. So it turns out there is, fortunately, the shortcut. 
which is asking the person, <laughs> just asking. tends to work pretty well. But that's a little preview of something that we'll do in the talk. So we, we didn't want to do the whole talk here on the podcast. So uh, we'll do some little sections of it uh, in the next couple of weeks. But one thing we'll do in the podcast is in the talk, sorry, is um, uh, teach you some techniques. And that's one of them is actually to go away and try to think of some things that might work that are not the explanation that your system one came up with. Right. And that's mostly just to remind yourself that you might be wrong and then go ask. Exactly. Because you're <laughs> likely to have all the wrong guesses there anyway, but that's okay. Anyway, we'll cover that more in the talk. Right. But this actually raises a very interesting question because this guy is in a position of power and that's one place where it's really, really dangerous. So yes. not only are, do you have a coherent view, but you're in charge. That, why does that make it worse? Well, it makes it worse because of um, how you've, in a sense, how you've been trained. Um, we talked here about this, this problem of the confidence that you have uh, in your decisions. And that what happens for a lot of people is uh, they learn because they're very confident, but then they uh, get the feedback that they're actually mistaken. You know, mm -hmm. they go into a meeting and other people say, no, that doesn't make sense. You mm -hmm. know, their, their peers and colleagues correct them as they begin to act on their incorrect uh, stories. Indeed. But it, it turns out, though, that this doesn't apply equally to everyone in a company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the more powerful you are relative to the other people around you, the less likely they are to give you that kind of feedback and the less likely you are to learn to be humble mm -hmm. and uh, therefore... When you because people something. keep telling me I'm right, yeah, and everything I do that they I say is this right, and they say yes, so well, it, I must be okay. It, it's reinforcing my coherent story. Yeah, of course, and that that story that one of the stories you might have be making up is the fact that they actually told you you were right. When what actually happened is you told them what you wanted, they all said okay and did it, and you're like, well, I guess everyone agreed. Indeed. And <laughs> what they might have said down the pub or uh, around the water cooler and, and uh, how many voodoo dolls they may have of you is, is, is not information that you chose to go out and get. That's right. So there's this problem that people, when they then act, then the story that they come up with is, oh, look, I, I'm in this room. All these people are talking and they can't make a decision. I don't know what's wrong with them. It's very clear to me. I'll go ahead and say my part. And look, everyone does it. You know, I am clearly an incisive thinker who brings clarity to a situation and I'm right. And this is fantastic. I'm trying very hard not to make any reference to US or UK politicians at the moment. <laughs> not that there are any in the in the, in, in positions of power who, who operate this way. This is a real threat. I, I find it uh, to myself and others in positions of power. Executives suffer from this, managers, but even people who are otherwise uh, respected in their in their groups can, can uh, fall prey to this. The problem is because it feels so good. Mm -hmm. It feels good to be able to offer your opinion and have people pay attention. And also then if, when people act on it and it comes good, it's just, it, yeah. it's so I must, I, Obviously I was right. Look, we got a good outcome. That's right. And, and so it, it's one of those things where we, with the social situation, I think really compounds the problem that we face anyway from the system one, system two dilemma. Mm -hmm. So we take this sort of flawed mental system we have where we, where we make shortcuts and then feel perfectly confident in our mistakes. And then we add on the influence of, of, of power, uh, which can be so corrupting and mostly from the fact that we don't get feedback and therefore feeds our worst habits. Indeed. So that can lead to a couple of different actions that our listeners might want to take. So if you're uh, trying to introduce agile ideas or you're 
working with a, a team that's adopting agile methods, you might have the belief, you might be the powerful one, and you might be believing that everyone's perfectly happy with how you're approaching things. That's the danger signal. Kahneman's red light is flashing. Mm-hmm. He's telling you, hang on, go and check that further. So you have to take extra effort. You have to make extra effort to try mm-hmm. to get people to tell you, now, was this really, I know you said it was okay, but can you just tell me a little <laughs> more about your thinking? Was Were there any concerns? You have to, to do more. And then, of course, if you're not in the position of power, it, I hope, can give you a little empathy for the position that that person might be in. It's kind of lonely and um, it feels kind of like you're confident, but you're, you're getting feedback, but it may not be accurate. Not only that, but the story that you're likely making up about the person in power is likely incorrect yes. because you, you may have been saying, oh, look at this person. There's this egotistical jerk, doesn't care about anyone else. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't want our input. He just, you know, just tells us what to do. But in fact, what you could be have is who's suffering is like the problem of being human, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, what they would like is uh, is more input, and more feedback, mm-hmm. and they're just unaware of the fact that they're not asking for it. Yep, it's not a choice that they're making. So that's the real power for me. If you understand the the problem of power that someone is in power is facing, then you can uh, understand how your own stories about them might be mistaken. Now, I will say on the hand that addressing it is still challenging. Absolutely. Because Not like you're going to have a fun conversation with that person in power to come in and say, hey, I've got some feedback for you. Uh, I'm sure you don't want to hear it, but I want to tell you anyway. That's right. And, if, and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird dilemma because very often the people in power do want the feedback, but themselves aren't used to getting it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it just feels less good than being right. Yep. And so it, it's hard not to stay attached to the rightness. So it's a real, it's a, it's a, it's a real challenge. And anyway, this is why uh, it's such an important topic and why we have brought this up and uh, for the talk we'll be doing in, in just a couple of weeks now at uh, Skills Matter for those of you in London who want to uh, hear the rest of it. Absolutely. And uh, that link, by the way, which is in the show notes, will also work after the talk, I believe. And uh, folks not in London can watch us on the video afterwards. Oh, excellent. So uh, that should be lots of fun. So uh, if you've had the problem of power on on either side, or if you're um, struggling with System 1 and System 2, we'd love to hear from you. And you know where to do that at troubleshootingagile.com. And you'll find our Twitter link and our emails and all kinds of other fun things. So please get in touch with us there. We love to hear from listeners. And uh, next week, I think we might talk about a little more from the talk. Uh, We'll see what we come up with. That's right. But we'll look forward to uh, talking with uh, all of you guys then. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Ron.